Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Whiskey Neat, Spirited Conversations with Interesting People. I am your host, Christopher Hart, and today was a first in many ways, and by many ways I mean one specific way. Um, today, not only did we not drink at all, surprisingly, um, no, no drinks were had, uh, but also today was a different type of conversation. Many people who are fans of this show and are part of the online community for whiskey are very close to many, many people and have at least interacted with many, many people that might be indicating some concerning behavior. So I thought it would be really fascinating if we got in two very important people um, that deal with alcohol abuse and discuss alcohol abuse. So today I'm joined by Dr. Christopher Verico and Dr. Daryl Shorter, both assistant professors of psychiatry at the Baylor College of Medicine, and they're currently working on a study that involves alcohol abuse. And I won't go into too much here. I'll leave it for the actual episode. But uh, these guys have a um, a deep, deep connection with um, all sorts of abuse, uh, whether it be opioid, uh, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, and are working on a study to kind of uh, specifically, the study, its intention is to um, find a medicine that's better than what's currently out there that would help people, uh, specifically veterans, uh, with alcohol abuse. And um, it was a fascinating conversation for me. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm, in, I'm a complete idiot, um, but I felt like I could keep up with most of what was being said. And uh I, I really, I'll tell you, I wish this episode was two hours long. Um, I am going to have them back on. We are going to continue this conversation, and I really feel like we hit the tip of the iceberg. So please rate and review us uh, on iTunes, Google Play, the whole nine yards. And um, yeah, this episode was brought to you today by Bunahaben. Bunahaben is our newest sponsor. They are now sponsoring us through 2020, by the way. Um, we've got some new sponsors coming on the show and, uh, Terlato Distel, they have been making fine spirits like Deanston, Tobermory, Lechaic, as you've, I'm sure noticed astutely that we've been doing a lot with them the last couple of months, especially with our event. And, uh, we're big spot, we're big supporters of theirs and they are a big supporter of us and we really can't appreciate it enough. So without further ado, Dr. Christopher Verico and Dr. Daryl Shorter with the Baylor College of Medicine. Cheers. So, Hi. thank you guys for being here. Sure, Chris. Happy to be here. Yeah, Daryl. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for coming. Um, I'm. I'm. This is a. It's so crazy. So I had this idea. You know, my wife and I have been doing this for quite some time, um, drinking and visiting distilleries, and and there are lots of podcasts out there in regards to uh, whiskey and spirits and wine and beer and what what have you. So I had it literally hit me like a lightning bolt a couple weeks ago. I bet there's some pretty smart people here in Houston <laughs> that are working on uh, something in regards to to alcoholism and studies. So there probably are with, within <laughs> within we a, should meet them. Yeah, within a very quick Google search, I found two. You guys were uh, number one, the very top link. Hmm. Um, what's going on over at the Baylor? I've been having the hardest time saying. Baylor Medicine of College. No, that's not right. Baylor College of Medicine. It, it, something about that in order is is tripping me up a little bit. But and I haven't even started drinking yet. <laughs> well, it'll right. just get harder for you. The, the well, more, you'd the be surprised. <laughs> so, that's and that's I mean. actually why you guys are here today. So, you guys, I want you guys to kind of tell me what's going on with. Uh, you know, we we do have a camera here, but I don't know if Jack said this, but we're talking to each other, but the camera's eavesdropping. So, yeah. yeah. What, so, what are you guys working on right now? Uh, so currently we have a few studies that are going on. Uh, they're at different stages of development. Um, and so the one study is what's called an alcohol interaction study. And so it's with a compound that has not been approved by the FDA or the Food and Drug Administration. Sure. Um, and so before you can test any new compound uh, as a treatment for alcohol use disorder, uh, you have to make sure that it is not going to cause some uh, – interaction with uh, the compound itself. And so the alcohol could affect how 
the drug impacts you or the drug could Im- uh, affect how alcohol impacts you. And so it sure. could make you more drunk, you know, something like that. Uh, so we are currently uh, conducting one of those phase one studies, as they're called. And uh, we also have a phase two study going on. Um, and that is, um, so it's already, uh, it didn't need the alcohol interaction study to be done because it's a widely available FDA approved medication already called denisamide, uh, which is used for epilepsy. Okay. Um, and somehow you can also use that for something in regards to alcohol? Well, surprisingly, uh, there's a drug called tapiramate, which is FDA approved for seizures as well. And there's been a number of research studies that have shown that it helps people reduce their alcohol intake. And so the uh, problem was a side effect. I guess it was a side effect in, uh, initially. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the rationale behind, you know, the first study that was done. Um, but there have been several done. And so th- they've shown that Tapiramate helps reduce drinking. And uh, the problem with Tapiramate is it has a lot of side effects that people can't tolerate. And so we're taking a uh, drug in the same class as an anti-epileptic drug um, and testing it because it's thought to have fewer side effects. And we're hoping to basically help those who have alcohol consumption issues in which they drink too much or, or, or obviously an alcoholic. You're hoping to kind of curb that in, in what is essentially in, in a completely dumbed down version, um, an appetite suppressant. Uh, no. But for alcohol. No. So uh, it's not an appetite suppressant. It's uh, for uh, seizures. Right. No, but I mean, like the side effect is, is that you, you don't consume as much. Like you don't, you don't feel the need to drink as much. Right. Right. So that's what I mean. It's like a completely dumb layman's, like, like a craving reduction. Sure. Correct. Yeah. 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 And that's what you're, you're, so you're testing that idea, uh, to use it for, for that said, to that effect. Yes. Um, and that's the only study you're working on. Are you working on more than one? I think. So the the first one is the alcohol interaction study, sure. and it's it's a you know a different drug altogether. And then the second study is uh, further along in development, and so it's the outpatient trial. And so that study enrolls veterans who have PTSD, and PTSD is uh, strongly associated with alcohol use among sure. veterans. So, sure, um, I know a few. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's quite common. Yes, it is. So so let's let's start with uh, the simple simple terms. What 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 is is the and I'm sure it is, because uh, this has come up before. What what is uh, defined as an alcoholic? What what kind of uh, key indicators or consumption numbers are we yeah. talking that would say, okay, you've got a problem, even if it doesn't affect your life negatively, right? They've got that whole yeah. Function. So I think I think one of the first things to clarify for folks is that we have really tried in the medical field to get away from the term alcoholic. It's mm. not really one that we use. Um, what do you our, use instead? So I usually uh, will c- refer to people as p- a person with an alcohol use disorder. Okay. Yeah. Alcohol yeah. use disorder. Yeah. yeah. So we, <laughs> we've gone through a number of uh, different terms for how to define what problems with alcohol uh, are. I mean, you probably have heard people talk about alcohol abuse, alcohol dependence. Sure. That's another one, that, That's uh, a big was, one that was commonly used and the the mental health uh, field has this has a book called the DSM the diagnostic and statistical manual and it it sort of is the the bible for mental health providers it gives us an the criteria for uh, determining psychi- that for, for psychiatric diagnosis. conditions absolutely right. Right. and so uh in our most recent uh version of the DSM the DSM 5 uh they created a category called substance use disorders and uh the the nomenclature now is that we refer to alcohol use disorder uh tobacco use disorder methamphetamine use disorder everything is is referred anyone to anyone who's that addicted way. to to said substance yes. correct um and addiction has some spectrum or it's murky i think because of the way that uh that it People have itself. kind of uh, taken that term. You can be addicted to lots of things now. Mm-hmm. And so because because there are so many different things that people could be addicted to, like, and people talk about like, I'm addicted to hair gel. I don't have hair, but I imagine I'm, I'm I did have holding it. on as well. So we're there. <laughs> hold on as long as you can. I'm trying. Hold on. I am trying. Hold on. <laughs> uh, but, you know, because- This guy over here. <laughs> I know, right, and he spikes it up I'm too. walking here. I yes. hate him already. I know. Well, <laughs> I get that a lot. Yeah. yeah. You, and you will 
can tell me because it's a beautiful head of hair it's that you'll probably keep man. for forever. <laughs> uh, but you know, pe- because people can uh, sort of among among lay laypersons be addicted to lots of different kinds of things. I think we wanted to be more accurate in our descriptions of people that were struggling with addictive disorders. And so, the most recent DSM really clarified what what it means to have an alcohol use disorder and. You know, we can just kind of riff on what that is. I, I think, generally speaking, the the first thing I think about when I think about someone who's struggling with an alcohol use disorder is that they've developed a tolerance to uh, drinking, meaning that uh, the same amount of alcohol that may have worked for them when they first started drinking, that same amount doesn't work for them. It doesn't get them to where they where they want to go as much or as easily. So throughout this discussion, I'm going to have a lot of counter questions yeah please. To, to get you to expand sure, on some things sure, of course um um just just for the sake of of of, of trying to you know like i'm an idiot right so just grasp as much as we can so yeah. uh, my first thing that popped in my head right now as you said that was um is there a case in which you can have alcohol use disorder and not function off a higher need for more meaning what if you're drinking the same amount you've always drank and yes. you still could have a problem absolutely so the way that the criteria work for the DSM you do not have to have developed a, a tolerance. tolerance in order to meet criteria for an alcohol use disorder vice yeah. versa there are 11 different criteria on and if you meet two of the 11 you would be diagnosed as having an alcohol use disorder Whoa. mild alcohol and use the disorder more mild but is mild a, is is okay so okay Whoa, <laughs> feel like I'm about to face some demons this podcast. No, so let's, before we expand, let me ask this. Mm-hmm. Is there a possibility in which you can raise your tolerance but not have AUD? Yeah. Yes. Okay. If that is the only indicator criteria right. on your right. yeah. You start hitting two out of 11, seems like a real low bar to hit. <laughs> Jack Agreed. doesn't even drink and he hits three of them. So. <laughs> But I think what they were, what we were trying to do, or what they were trying to do with the DSM, is to make sure that we caught all kinds of people that had problems. Because we're humans, with, we're a spectrum exactly of things. Right. Almost right. everything we are diagnosed with is on a spectrum of yep. severity. True, and uh, we're we're these complicated little uh, animals. So mm-hmm. I I totally get it. So let's let's start from the top, if if we don't mind. What are the eleven? So tolerance is one. Okay. Uh, the next one is withdrawal. So if someone, when they stop drinking, they develop a characteristic uh, syndrome. It can be anxiety, uh, insomnia. Some people, when they go into withdrawal, it gets very can be very severe for them. They can have withdrawal seizures. Uh, people probably have heard of DTs, the DTs, sure, the shakes, yes, mm-hmm. the shakes, yep. delirium tremens. So those qualify as as uh, symptoms of withdrawal. Uh, the one that I think is probably the sort of the one of the cardinal symptoms of alcohol use disorder is when someone reports to me when I'm seeing them clinically uh, that they have tried to cut down or control their use and they have been unsuccessful in doing so. I always so as someone who has no medical experience, but I watch a lot of house. Um, <laughs> I, I have I have uh, often that's usually been an indicator to me when someone decides they want to take a break. The fact that they've they've recognized a need to take a break is usually like a wolf. Like there's, there's been times that I've been exhausted. I do a lot of drinking for work where I literally supposed to drink. Mm. And I, I give you a great example. Uh, yesterday I was filming it from 6am, the wrap up on that thing we were talking about uh, till noon, then had meetings that went on till 9pm. I was, Mm. I I didn't want to drink anymore by nine. And when I ordered a beer at a restaurant, now it wasn't like tons of consumption. It was just an exhausting, long menial day of like a pour here, a pour here. And I had my final meeting at seven o'clock. And when she showed up, we ordered a beer. I didn't even drink it. I just Mm. didn't want it. Now there wasn't like a need to take a break. It was just like when you're drinking because you have to, it's, it's, you know, but but I think when people are talking about their – we're talking about a pattern of behavior that people exhibit over at least a 12-month period. And yeah. so it's not just that someone tries one time and they're unsuccessful in cutting down or controlling their, their drinking. Right. It's really – I've developed a pattern of this oh, where sure. I'm like trying I've been trying to lose to weight for a Listen, couple of years and uh, I'm stuck at this <laughs> 10 pound mark and uh, I've got food use disorder. You're not yet 40, that. are you? <laughs> no, I'm 31. Yeah, okay. We'll keep living. <laughs> <laughs> Eat up, buddy. So, okay. So withdrawals uh, and they're having a hard time. Yeah, so uh, unsuccessful efforts at cutting down. So when people are spending more time 
uh, trying to either obtain alcohol, drinking, more time drinking, or more time recovering from the effects of alcohol. Uh, that's another one. Uh, sometimes people can experience uh, an impact on... Sorry, I'm, I'm go. going to try to write these down while we get this. So tolerance, mm-hmm. withdrawal, what would be the next one? So unsuccessful efforts. At, Un- okay, I didn't know if that was tied to the withdrawal thing. Yeah, distinct. Okay. Uh, so and then what was the, the next Increased one? time. Okay, recovery, yep. And... Um, Problems with family? Problems with family. Sure. Role obligations. Or, you know, work. Problems like with personal life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, um, when people uh, drink in hazardous situations. So yeah. Hazardous driving use. a car. Oh, sure. Going swimming. Wait, that's not... I'm just kidding. <laughs> hazardous <laughs> use. All yeah. right. Uh, why am I blanking? Continued drinking despite negative consequences. That's great. Okay. Yeah. So despite not learning from their mistakes in that regard, your right? wife, you know, yelling at you for drinking and being out. Dinner all was night, cold. That's her like fault, that. not mine. Despite negative consequences, uh, right. drinking despite psychological or health problems. So mm-hmm. when people okay. continue to drink, if they know that they has, I saw a guy liver disease, yeah, sure, had liver disease, and he continues to drink, and so that's one as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, craving. Is one. So it's funny. I, I, every yeah. as you go down this list, I'm thinking of people I know yeah. who are guilty sure. of some of these things. It's surprisingly easy. Yeah. Two two things. So one thing, yeah. as I've been in this industry the past few years, I've learned that um, it's it's remarkably easy to blow over, mm-hmm. right? And you ha- so when people don't realize what they think is normal, it's normal for me to go out and have four cocktails and then drive home, and, and they don't realize you're yeah. actually blowing over. Way right. and they'll preach responsible drinking, but they don't realize because yeah. they've never blown, right? right. So they, they don't realize how easy it is to blow over. Yep. Uh, the other thing I realize is, <laughs> as you're naming them, the people I know that are, are guilty of some of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's very rare for n- most people who drink alcohol even casually not to, ha- to don't have developed tolerance at some, some point. Tolerance, yeah. you know? I mean, I know for myself that Certainly, when I first started drinking at whatever age that was, sure at twenty one, yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on the nose, yeah. you know, it um, certainly more now, sure, you know. I, so uh, this is something that uh, I've noticed. Some people I know that have developed a lower tolerance. Is that possible? Where it's you drink so much so often that you actually, it's almost like it, like it, like uh, a reverse it, tolerance, yeah, like a reverse tolerance. Like they're like they're they're though I've known people that have had issues mm. to drink um, as many most people know some people that have had some sort of issue at some point oh, yeah. or another and I've seen them drink less and still kind of exhibit signs of, of drunken behavior hmm. um, is it after a break like after they stopped drinking for a while and then they mm, you know I never never really picked mm, you know, I'm yeah. not a, never really picked up on that so we've got three left uh, what was the next one craving okay craving. so so uh, one of the ways that I try to ascertain if someone's experiencing craving clinically is I ask That's them, a good question because yeah. I have some questions on that specific one. So one of the questions I ask is about what time of day do you start thinking about drinking? Sure. And or uh, like when people have experienced cravings, a lot of times they'll say that it, they can occur for them physically, they can occur for them uh, mentally. And so they kind of will either start thinking about it or they'll get a feeling, a fluttering. Some mm. people like I've had, sure. had some had some folks describe it as like, I, I just feel it kind of my skin almost tell me. And so all of that to me counts as craving. So uh, the inference or the implication I'm getting from what you're saying is, is it possible that what you're saying is that depending on the time of day, that that craving wouldn't necessarily be a bad sign. Meaning if they're getting cravings at the end of a a 10-hour day or for those stay-at-home moms who are about ready to kill all their kids, is that less of a worry that they're craving a glass of wine at 6 p.m. versus those who are craving at 10 a.m.? So let me admit that people who get referred to see me usually have screened positive for some sort of alcohol problem. Okay, Okay, sure. So in my work, typically the folks that are seeing me have already been either diagnosed with alcohol use disorder or their primary care physician suspects strongly that they have alcohol use disorder. So that's how they end up seeing me. So my conversation with them, I think, is tailored a little differently than it might be for other clinicians who are just trying to figure out sort of, do you have a problem? Yes or no? And and to what extent? Because my my other question to that would be uh, shift worker, right? So I Mm -hmm. work in aviation as an aside to my day job or my this other job that I do. Uh, and if I'm working, you know, a 10 hour shift, they get off at 7 a.m. I go home, I have a burger and a beer drinking at 7 a.m. For most right. would think, oh, oh, 
And it's like, well, no, it's actually my. But you take all of that into consideration as sure. well when you're trying to determine the the extent to which someone might be experiencing cravings. You know, the thing. Sorry, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I, by the way, me pushing on these questions no, or not me trying to dismiss my own behavior. No, just, uh, <laughs> I just realized, but no, it's fine, right? I'll, I'll be leaving my car it's when okay. we're done. Yeah. I mean, so the fact that I walk in with a bag of 12 bottles, is that on this list? Yeah, well, I walk, you know, in, I walk into a bag of whiskey. We're, we're leaving our car. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, but, but I think that there are folks out there who really begin thinking about their first drink you know, they say they work nine to five, they start thinking about their first drink at 930. And for them, it is a real struggle to get through the day until they can make it to 505, where they may have a bottle in the car waiting for them. So it's so not they, just the craving, it's also the the stress induced part of that, like the fact be, that you are that dying for something, and you're counting down the moments that that's a huge red flag. Yes, for certain people. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so craving uh, two left. Mm. And if you don't remember off the bat, I still have plenty of questions about okay, all the other ones. Let me keep thinking. Two of them. So let's say, like, so let's say you've um, increased. Oh, giving up activities is one. Oh, oh like not other going anywhere. Other pleasurable yeah, activities. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. I don't want to play football today. I'm going to stay I'm here. I'm not and, playing football today. I'm getting drunk on the couch sure. and watching it. Yeah. Sounds awesome. I'm giving up activities. <laughs> I'm going to. Yeah, so then there's one more. Sacrifice of time. Okay, so, um, you know. This is going to bother yeah, It's me. okay. It's yeah. okay. Listen, tw- to 12. Um, is forgetting uh, one of them? <laughs> <laughs> Forgetfulness? No. Um, so, and do you guys both drink? Do you guys, mm. you, you don't consume at all? No. When you part do of being this an kind, adult. Right. Well, part of that is it. <laughs> but I think what can happen for folks is that when you do this kind of work, uh, you get really uh, I know, ex- self-reflective about sure, your yeah. relationship to all kinds of things. That's why yeah. I would never date or marry a psychologist or a therapist, right? I, I, if I could be reading <laughs> there are everything. There lots of people yeah. who feel that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, I totally get it. Um, and this is not the same comparison, but I used to I used to do wedding planning and take pictures. And you when a I, lot of jobs. I, well, I'm. I, this is when I was many many moons ago. Where were they? Uh, this were is over they, a decade. Were you taking pictures from a plane? You mentioned you had an aviation no, no, job. No, no, also. no. So the, this is I, a psychiatrist. When I was a, when I was a ni- when I was nine eight. Well, actually, was I was much younger when I was uh, sixteen. I started doing wedding photography. Okay. And uh, it got to the point that I couldn't stand. Uh, going to weddings as a guest, I couldn't stand uh, listening to the same. Like they, they'd always hire a DJ who'd play the same ten songs, and I would see a lot of the same DJs at the same weddings. And he, and he, when he's in his car alone, doesn't listen to anything. He hates music on the radio because right. he plays music constantly. He's tired of hearing Cotton Eye Joe, right? So it's oh, it's God. this these the the same typical bridal. Mu- he's so he he rides in silence, and I would imagine if you spend your life reflecting on or not reflecting but but you know diagnosing and helping and being a doctor and helping those who have issues with, with alcohol consumption i would imagine it might be a bit of a turn off for you yeah i mean i think what what you see is the incredible destruction that can happen in people's lives as a result of it uh you know and, and you see you just, some of that manifest in yourself sometimes yeah. too i think you know, sure that you can look at these criteria and say hey i am you know close to meeting that or sure. i could see how this applies to me and then you start to reconsider what you're doing and say, I need to back off. Definitely. And I think that's... And so, and I think that that speaks to the the major criteria when someone notices, hey, I may be doing this a little bit more, drinking mm-hmm. more than I kind of... Drinking more than is intended. Yeah. Is, is uh, okay. Drinking more than is intended. Is that the last one? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So, you, what's the difference between that one and increased time? So, uh, one is, one is, so when you, when you think about substance use disorders kind of more broadly... Um, the time criteria is, I would say, separate from the consume the consumption sure. aspect because I don't know. Help me out here. I, I, well, I can kind of. I'm thinking of what was the time one. So, so it's increased time uh, uh, preparing to use, yeah. using, or recovering from the effects of use. That's the time one, right? And then uh, the the other one is uh, oh, yeah, that was using more than intended. It's an right. amount. So y- you say I'm, I'm going to have one beer. I'm going to have one beer. Right. But you have three. Yep. And it's 4 a.m. And, and my wife's situation, even yeah, though you've yeah. done it in the same amount of time. Yeah. Sure. 
Sure. Yeah, it's just the idea that I want to cut down, I'm going to limit myself, and then you fail to do that. Yeah. Okay, so two of those things is mild. Yes. yes. Two, should you be worried or should you just be cautious? So that's a really good question. I think that – so I also have a conversation with people about the amount that they drink as well. Sure, so. because you know, four for women, five for men is considered uh, a lot. Yes. In one, in one sitting. Yeah. In one sitting. Five. And if it's in a two-hour period, it's considered binge drinking. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this show's an hour long, so <laughs> it's a one hour period. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, there's only been a few times. We actually had a couple of sports guys in here, uh, one episode, and they, they we we bring bottles that sponsors give us and stuff we want to mm-hmm. taste through, and but we we don't intention the intention's not to drink everything available, mm-hmm. and they took it as a little bit of a challenge. <laughs> uh, so uh, they drank through all six offerings, but we're, these weren't full pours. We're talking bites little little taste sure. treats so uh and this was them not me so they should be worth <laughs> um mild so i say alcohol use disorder is aud replaced for that often you yes guys say, okay so in layman's terms we would imagine old school that that would be mild alcoholism yes but you don't use it okay so you could say someone's a mild alcoholic if they hit two to two, two to three yeah two yep. to three yeah okay uh now there is an old um uh, saying or feeling that there's no cure for alcoholism and that you're always an alcoholic even when you mm. haven't drank for 15 years, right? Yeah. Steve-O is like, I don't know, 15 years sober. He would still be considered an alcoholic even though he has not drank Drinking. for 15 years. Yeah. That's accurate. Is that the the, the That's the prevailing um, mentality? Yeah, that's mentality the prevailing for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, so what's the difference then for someone who, let's say they hit two or three of these now, right? Still mild. Mm-hmm. And they just decide to stop. Like like you said, you used to, you don't need more mm-hmm. because you hit two or three, you stop. Would you still be considered an alcoholic? Is it something that you should acknowledge? Or is it just so, – this so is just the no, yellow light. Question. This so, is a warning. So the the way that the criteria reads, it's that you have to have met X number of these criteria within the last 12 months. Right. Okay. okay? Right. So if you go 12 months without essentially meeting the criteria – we would either define you as in remission or, or, or not, or not, yeah, you know, sure. Or not. yeah. yeah. sure. Um, okay. So then what's the next step? Two to three is mild. Uh, four well, to five is moderate. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then severe is anything is like that, six yeah. or more is severe. Mild, moderate. And then severe. See, in my mind, depending on what, which one on this list you hit, yeah. uh, it would, some of these Make are definitely a more scary than others, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So if, if this was affecting your problems in personal life, yep. despite negative consequences and mm-hmm. medical issues, in my mind, even though you only hit three, that sounds like <laughs> full-blown exactly right. alcoholism. Yeah. And I mean, I think that you Gene. can certainly have a conversation with someone and, you know, I, I do about the ways in which they can reduce their drinking versus mm-hmm. cutting it out entirely. And that's yeah. a conversation that needs to take place, not yeah. just... So not cold turkey, but more control. It, uh, it sort of depends on the individual. I mean, if, if you know, we're talking about someone that has liver problems, you know, mm-hmm. extensive, extensive liver problems, and we know alcohol is processed by the liver, then I would say, well, this is really damaging, uh, potentially damaging to your health. And so you really want to not cut down, you want to abstain. Well, whereas if someone is having problems perhaps in their in their marriage or at work as a result of it, I might say, well, for you, perhaps cutting down is a place to start. And yep. then we observe how this goes. And if it continues despite your reduction, then the, our next step might be abstinence after that. Sure. Or, yeah. And even for the Food and Drug Administration, uh, for them to approve a new medication for alcohol use disorder, they don't require abstinence. They simply require a reduction in heavy drinking days. They, mm-hmm. they require improvement. Yeah. yeah. Right. A market, because it's, market improvement. it's better for you. Okay. So – and Reduced harm. Right. Right. Going back to your, your own personal um, feelings, do you abstain? You just don't want to mess with it or do you I – say, I say this coming from a religious background. There was uh, – there's two prevailing thought patterns with – uh, people who don't drink. There are people who just choose not to drink and they don't really care. If others drink, they don't see anything wrong with it. They just mm. choose not to partake. And then there are those who preach against it entirely. Are you anti-drinking or just you just don't want to mess with it? No, I'm not anti-drinking. And I think that the I mean the vast majority of people, the majority of people in our country do not drink. I mean, we only have about 43% for- small? Yeah. I mean, about 43% of 
Americans are current users of alcohol. So I know that sometimes our perception yeah. is that everyone drinks, but the reality sure. is that there are lots of people who don't drink for a lot of different reasons. Sure. And the, for the same reason that there are a lot of people who drink for a lot of different reasons. I think our conversation really needs to be not just about the actual consumption of alcohol, but the reasons why people do it. It's like, right. it's what, it's like with everything. Right. Sure. So there. Um, so what do you have? You guys seen? Well, actually, let's back up. I want to talk about the study again. Hmm? Uh, when when I had Googled uh, you guys to try to find a, a great alcohol study, I did see like the um, I guess not the application, but kind of like the posted of this study. You guys were looking for certain types of people to 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 do certain types of things. Can you kind of walk us through what you guys were looking for for this study? Yeah. So I, I imagine you saw the ad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's two different ads. One is targeted towards veterans um, who have PTSD who are drinking heavily. Sure. Um, you know, PTSD and alcohol use goes hand in hand. And in the, even in the military, whiskey is just dated back since the Revolutionary War. Sure. Um, mm. I'm sure you guys know that and covered that before. But yeah, my festival, we it, my festival specifically benefits veterans. Mm. And the particular charity that we use at our whiskey festival um, so what did I say? That didn't make sense, did it? The the particular veterans charity we use um, is Warriors for Freedom, and it's specifically to help normalize their life outside of uh, once they come back and, and camaraderie, uh, going out, fishing tournaments, um, mm -hmm. kind of normal, getting back into a normal lifestyle pattern um, that instead of being held up in your home drinking yeah. alone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, the one ad is targeted towards those veterans who are struggling with their alcohol use and by and large, I imagine most of them are using it to self-medicate. Um, there aren't effective treatments for – there aren't uh, overwhelmingly effective treatments for PTSD. You know, there are a few approved medications and uh, certainly like cognitive uh, behavioral therapies are uh, also beneficial, but they don't help everybody. Sure. And so a lot of veterans – and it's uh, there's also a stigma associated with mental health and receiving any sort of counseling. Well, well, yeah, and, and on top of that, it's it's kind of compounded with veterans because there are some studies being released in regards to like uh, uh, drug MDA, MDMA giving mm -hmm. veterans yeah. either marijuana ecstasy, or yeah. ecstasy yep. to kind of cope with PTSD, and that's yeah. a double stigma, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, there's not a lot there for them, right? And so that you know that's why we're try trying this uh, other drug that's already approved for you know seizures um, because. That class of medication seems to help some people reduce their alcohol intake. Sure. So you're you're, and I say that, and I won't name the the name of. Well, I can name the name of it, but there's there is a drug, uh, Zoloft, that's antidepressant. Mm -hmm. uh, that I I noticed uh, uh, earlier this year, it was there was a new drug being marketed for a certain uh, f uh, function. Um, I really don't want to say this. I saw this. I'll say it anyways. Um, this is a professional discussion, but I'll, uh, it's important. But the the drug was being marketed to prevent um, um, <laughs> pre premature release, oh, oh, premature okay. ejaculation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, my face feels hot. And um, <laughs> the drug was being promoted as like a cure, and they were listing the drug name, which I forget the num. The, I have it written down. Um, not that I had it written down because it was a <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, This just took an interesting yeah, yeah, turn. Yeah, it took an interesting <laughs> turn. I wrote it down because I was so shocked that it, I, it, it's it been marketed for years under Zoloft. Sertraline. Sertraline, yeah, yeah. So Sertraline is- I thought it was Cetraline or Sertraline. Yeah, Sertraline yeah. is, uh, is Zoloft, but- when you know, when, when I was, it when it came out, it was being marketed as a side effect that this might you might yeah, have trouble absolutely, with this. Absolutely, and, and urologists pre actually prescribe it for premature ejaculation. And at some point, someone's like, "Oh, we can make money off this yeah. by marketing the side effect." So mm -hmm. it kind of made me realize that how drugs are developed. You you create a drug, which I think that's how Viagra was developed. Viagra yeah. was originally developed as a exactly. heart medication, and they were like, "Hey, this side effect <laughs> could make us very rich." And, <laughs> and, and indeed, it did. It, and it did. <laughs> and it did. So that's what you guys are doing. You're trying to to test an an, an intention use on the side effect of this drug as a cure for right but not uh, to make money sure no, 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 no. <laughs> even if you did there wouldn't listen there are lots of things that we as as humans have stumbled into mm. uh innovations that have changed the world right yeah. i mean penicillin yeah. is is a perfect right. example right um it, it's not there's nothing inherently wrong with making money sure. but it's so fascinating to see how we accidentally innovate all the time yeah. well yeah i mean once these medications have been given to hundreds of thousands of people, you're going to 
developed this very clear side effect profile and you can then capitalize on it like you've just described. So Sure. I just I it's it's a it's you know it's a funny aspect of the conversation but it, it's uh it's I I am endlessly fascinated with how we um healthcare how we cure things, right? So my wife and I'm going to say this um, but don't let it paint a stereotype, but you know, the, her family's big into the essential oils and like the, mm. the, the holistic, holistic, and, you know, yeah. but the, we still, I mean, yeah. in a heartbeat, the moment my throat hurts, I'm taking an antibiotic. Right. So, um, it, it's, it's just, it's endlessly fascinating how these accidental things happen and, and, mm. you know, how long has that drug been out? And then all of a sudden you guys have decided to, to mainline on that, like to focus. Yeah. Zanismide. Um, it's, I yeah, I don't know. It's been decades. It's and you guys have finally like, well, let's see if we can't use it for this other purpose. Well, they stumbled upon this particular purpose with a, a similar drug in the same class uh, to pyramate. And so then it was like, well, if this anti-epileptic drug has this effect, then why wouldn't other ones within the same class? And so, yeah, you know, because the pyramate has, has uh, a bunch of side effects that people don't like and so sure. won't take it. Zanisamide doesn't seem to have all those side effects. And, uh, and it might do the same thing. It might have the same, or it might be better. How long is the study going for? Uh, so, like overall? How, like, or for like a person who enrolls? So, like, if you enroll, so first of all, how many people are you bringing in for the study? 60. Okay, so you bring in 60 veterans. And they would be on the study for five weeks. They'd be five treated weeks. for five weeks. They would, be, they would either receive the medication or a placebo, a uh, sugar pill, sugar pill. Sure, sure. Um, and they'd visit us twice a week, uh, for those five weeks and we would, uh, give them medication, see how they're doing. Uh, is it a questionnaire though? I mean, is there a chance they might be lying to you about their consumption? Absolutely. Yes. And a lot of it, the alcohol research is based on self-reports. And so, um, the only way we know, uh, what we do is every time they walk in the door, we use a breathalyzer and we get their blood alcohol content. Sure. So we know right there if they're intoxicated. Um, but beyond that, we also use a biomarker. Um, a, uh, we take a blood sample and there is a particular molecule in it that we can look at and it gives you a sense of binge drinking over the past month. Oh, really? Uh, and so we can use that to corroborate the self-report. Sure. Um, but yeah, much of it is based on self-report. But at the same time, you know, these people are seeking treatment. They want to reduce their alcohol use. Of course. And yeah. so there's no advantage to lying to uh the, you know, the uh, study coordinators or anybody about what they're actually doing, because then we don't know how they're doing. We don't know if we're helping them. We don't know how to adjust things. Yeah. I don't know how much money goes into or how much money is needed in a study like this. And I don't know how expensive these items are, but I know um, there's another show I, I watch called um, uh, the Joe Rogan show, right? And <laughs> mm -hmm. they, they did Sober October and they made these guys wear these ankle bracelets that actually measure blood alcohol content they wear it 24 7 like an ankle bracelet mm -hmm. wow yeah and if they drink anything it picks it up through the skin sure yep. so um uh it, it, i we're not that sophisticated sure sure well so and how long is it going to go for overall i said five weeks but then what's the overall that's phase one is, there, is there so that, that that's the phase two study uh and so the other study is just uh enrolling ex alcohol experienced individuals like yourself if you'd like to sign up give me a call um <laughs> what's it pay how much can I drink? Depending on that, who depending on which question they ask first, is that a key indicator? If they're like, if they say, "How much can I drink?" Yeah, well, so and you know, those those uh, certainly we have people calling who are uh, interested in knowing how much they're going to drink, how much sure. money they get paid. You know, sure. I mean, you know, the, the reality is most people are uh, looking for the payout, which sure. is perfectly fine. Yeah, we understand wrong that. that. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, how that, expensive booze is nowadays. <laughs> the, that study enrolls. Um, you know, non-veterans or civilians sure. as well as veterans uh, who just use alcohol on occasion or are experienced. Uh, they don't necessarily have to meet alcohol use disorder criteria. Sure. But if they do, that's okay. What we don't want is for people to experience any withdrawal uh, when they're walking in the door because this can be a very serious situation. Sure. And we certainly don't want to uh, cause any further problems by giving them an experimental drug that's only been in a few hundred people. Of course. Um and giving them alcohol on top of that. Yeah. And so that study, you know, we bring people in, they stay with us in the hospital uh, for a week and we give them alcohol the first day they're there. We have them fill out a bunch of questionnaires. We have them do some cognitive tasks on a uh, computer 
Uh, we have them do the field sobriety test. You know, you walk a straight line. Um, and then we start treating them with the medication for the next five days. And at the end of that five days, we give them alcohol again. And we have them do all the same tests. And so now we just want to compare, sure. you know, pre and post and see. Right. And if nothing bad happens, everything looks the same pre and post, then it, that drug will then be tested in veterans who have PTSD and sure. alcohol use disorder. So they're kind of like the build, the 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 more kind of con- less worrisome group of people. Yeah. Then before you get to the ones that really, really that's need- right, that's right. Wow. Um, I think it's really important to add, and I'm, I'm going mm-hmm. so to take over for just a quick second because I think some of the listeners might have an issue with you know, a scientific study where we expose people to alcohol. And, Mm. you know, we've had lots of conversations about the ethics of that. So I'm just like, if you can give your spiel to the, to the listeners about that. People have questioned the ethics of, 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 of basically giving the people the disease to, or not, I mean, not giving it to them, but you're giving them the the illness in order to, or at least exposing people to alcohol who might have a problematic relationship. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, whenever we screen for that, early phase study, it's always looking for individuals who are not having problems with alcohol, who uh, are not seeking treatment to stop using. Okay. Uh, and that, and so that's uh, the alcohol experienced um, as my sort of global catch term I use, I think. But um, basically a, non, a non-issue, but someone who does drink. That's right. Somebody, who, somebody who's, who's not really concerned about cutting down their consumption or seeking treatment. As the, um, really the key words that we use, um, and I'm trying to think of a better to You're describe putting them that, into two camps. Uh, that's right. Yeah. 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 And, I, so, I and so the Zenisamide study, it's veterans who have an issue, um, and we think it's They're more like the PTSD. control group almost? No. Two no, not the, not, the, the not the veterans, but like the people who don't have an issue. They're more of They're a, more the guinea pigs. Okay. Um, sure. Because, I, you know, that's hey, probably not the best word to use, but um, – <laughs> You know, it, you know, that study is using a compound that's only been in a few hundred people. And so we don't know how it's going to affect some people. Sure. Just about every medication out there kills people. Yeah. You know, Tylenol. Uh, probably shouldn't say, use that word either, but, um, you know, Kill the fact, or Tylenol? Huh? Kill or Tylenol? Tylenol. Any brand name, I imagine, <laughs> sure, probably sure. not a good thing. Um, and so, Sweet. you know, th- there is that potential for uh, a negative effect of the drug alone. Sure. Um, and so that, that's why I, you know, the people in the early phase study are more of the, the guinea pigs, so to speak, where we just want to make sure that in general, we aren't going to see this um, interaction between alcohol and the drug that is going to cause very severe problems for people. Sure. Um, I think you really just want to focus on safety. Yeah. And how safe is the use of this compound this yeah. medication in people who also happen to drink. Thank you. Right. The word right. safety. Not what you're saying. Yeah. Definitely what um, versus, versus treatment seeking, right. which is yep. what we were sort of well, talking about you, with the second study, people that are that have PTSD and alcohol use disorder and they are seeking some sort of treatment for that. And the, and the medication sonisamide is the way that we're trying to do that. It makes perfect sense. I mean, if let's just say 10% mm. have a heart attack, well, you don't want to find that out with with you know yeah. at, at this would, stage it wouldn't even get that far right i'm right. just giving a, a drastic example right. okay. so if you're going to look for any kind of red flags you'd rather it be in a, in a more stable group than, than much smaller group. sample Correct. of people yeah, yeah. that we have better control over right. uh you know have a and that's why we bring them in the hospital so sure. we know what they're eating and drinking every day and um, there's uh, you know it's a hospital so there's medical staff there 24 7 and sure. if there's an emergency they'll go to the they're ER. right there you know so so let me kind of run some ideas by you guys as far as in terms of, of concern. So we've got the, the 11 um, key indicators. Is it uh, – so in this industry in particular, there's a lot of people who for work drink every day, right? Mm-hmm. We're not talking – getting drunk every day we're talking they go you know uh, they a lot of the people in the bourbon industry or the whiskey industry are are treated almost like celebrities and when they fly them in town let's say we've got someone famous in the bourbon world who flies into town he's here for three days they put him to work Mm. he he goes to a class at uh, with a distributor at 8 a.m or 10 a.m uh he's got an interview with me at three and it's just like boom 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 do you guys uh, is there necessarily a concern with anyone who drinks every day or is it more like the amount that they do within those sessions? I would say it's more about how it 
affects them and the way they interact with everything else in the world. Sure. So they could theoretically, as long as they're totally fine, because the whole functioning alcoholic thing's a bit murky. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always perceived it as uh, I see it used a lot when people want to say, uh, if you drink every day, even if your life's great, even if it's not drinking that much, you're a functioning alcoholic. And it doesn't. That seems like a catch-all blanket well, statement. Well, I think that what we are really trying to talk about here is risk, and and you know the the National Institute of Alcoholism and Alcohol Abuse (NIAAA) has a set of guidelines about the amount that someone can drink in a day or in a on a week. And I've seen the week thing, yeah. especially in the UK. They're very big on um, so typically units we say per week. for anybody, the, any female that drinks over four drinks, any male that drinks over uh, five five drinks or more uh, in a sitting, that 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 is what we consider heavy heavy a heavy episode of alcohol consumption or right. a binge or binge. And um, so when you go to a night like to a sports bar in a week, fourteen drinks for a man, seven drinks for a woman in a week. Wait, wait. Didn't you just say in a day it's four for right. a man so and three for a woman? Think of it this way. So say you have- Five for a man, four for a woman. Right. Five for a man. Four. So say a guy drinks four drinks Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night each. That's 12 drinks. Jeez. That's still under 14 for the week. Sure. And it doesn't sort of fall into the risk category. Sure. Yeah. But if you have a six-pack Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, you are now over 18 and you're over your five. Sure. Okay. And so if a woman, let's, let's back that up because mm-hmm. the example you gave was 14 and seven, right? Yeah. So seven so drinks if a, a woman does, a woman, yeah. if a woman does four, 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 that's 12. Yeah. That's at, we would, we would call that at risk drinking. What yeah. if it was three, 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 that's still nine. At risk drinking. Really? Yeah. Even though she's not binge drinking any of those days. Right. That's correct. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And so, so, and again, Having uh, being like falling into the category of at risk uh, drinking does not necessarily mean that you carry a diagnosis of alcohol use sure, disorder. But so, that's definitely flirting with the devil. But, but it just means that you are potentially at risk for going on to develop alcohol related problems yep. or perhaps other medical complications as a result of your alcohol consumption. Yep. Okay. And what do you consider a session? Because, like I mentioned yesterday, if I had one drink that I sipped on, while filming for four hours and then another drink at lunch and maybe a gin and tonic for dinner. Like you get what I'm saying? Like yeah, you dude, say a single man. session. What if, what if it's an all day affair? So we were talking about two mm-hmm. hours before, but I, you know, it, again, this is where the conversation with the person really comes into play. I think. Sure. Because if you have someone who, um, you know, has an eye opener, so they may drink mm-hmm. first thing in the morning as soon as they get out of bed. And then perhaps they go- Eye opener, breakfast beer, <laughs> tomato, tomato. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go through their day and they have a couple drinks later. You know, perhaps perhaps you don't necessarily count all of that together. Sure. But I do think that, you know, the, the eye opener might fall into a different category. Oh, sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like so, people, I always thought it was weird when people smoked first thing in the morning. Get up and you have a cigarette. That's a, that's a big, huge yeah. sign of having a, a problem. Nicotine, nicotine use disorder, disorder is yeah. that you cannot resist that first cigarette. If you had to give one up one cigarette, which one? You know, the, giving up that first cigarette is the hardest thing for people to do. Really? So, wow. You know. Well, I don't smoke cigarettes. Is, well, do you guys study tobacco use at all? I know I, I kind of saw a video on you that was kind of briefly discussed marijuana use studies. Yeah. Uh, are you still doing any of that stuff? Um, no, not at the moment. No, yeah. no. I, it was, I think it was 2013 or something. It was, two, it was a couple of years ago during the interview, the, the study that I had seen, um, or not the study I'd seen, but I had recently been talking to someone about how I think it's going to be legal by 2020 in and, Texas, in Texas. I think it'll be optimistic. I think but oh, anyhow, I, most people have said it's optimistic and I think I may just miss it. I think 2021 might be a little mm, bit okay. more realistic, but, but I had made this bet three years ago. Um, uh, okay. Because every state, it seems like every year there's a new state that's on this list. Yeah, and I think we're at 31 or 33. That's just a ridiculous number. Like, and which just goes to show you how we've evolved and how things have changed. I mean, in, in Houston, in the Heights, just a few years ago, they voted to to make it a non-dry, and it was a uni- mm-hmm. almost a unanimously no. Mm-hmm. And then now, like just a couple of years later, it was almost unanimously yes. That mm-hmm. everyone was like, yes, we should totally be allowed to have a beer in in the Heights, right? Um, and I just think it's fascinating yeah, that sure. the, the way that we are perceiving um, our judgment of things, whether it's alcohol use or, to, or tobacco use or, you know, yeah. um, we seem to be a bit more um, hesitant in jumping to conclusions, a little bit more 
trying to find the right where yeah. right place on the scale instead of just saying. And it's interesting because I think as we have seen an increase in the number of people who are using cannabis for all kinds of reasons, uh, we've also seen a, a kind of gradual reduction in the number of people who are being diagnosed with alcohol use disorder. And so, I, you know, I don't. You think know. they go hand in hand? I think that people are might be switching actually, right? Yeah, and you know, from drinking to smoking. even the opiates. You know, do you uh, think that's a better switch? And opiates as well. Yeah. Uh, yes, off, off the opiates over to the marijuana. Yeah, um, which would I would definitely be willing to bet that that's a better medication. Yeah, even if you we're not talking marijuana, we're just talking the, the main psychoactive psychoactive THC. ingredient THC mm-hmm. is really what is beneficial. You know, and so yeah, maybe marijuana is, and but maybe it's one of the other you know, 200 cannabinoids in the plant that nobody's studying. Sure. Um, you know, there's no doubt that cannabinoids have uh, positive effects on pain. Maybe not positive. They help alleviate pain. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ability to study it for those sort of indications has been stymied by the government for so long. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and so that's why we are where we're in like now. a blatant political way. Like everyone realizes and acknowledges that there's Finally, a clear yeah. medicinal study that, studies that need to happen, mm-hmm. and the the red tape is what's driving everyone. You know, and I progress. and I get it to a point. It's you're never going to walk into into your doctor's office and they're going to say, "Hey, smoke this two times a day. And let me know how you're doing." Sure, you know, that um, that's not going to happen. But yeah. you know, we can isolate the individual molecules. We can test them, but we still have. Uh, hurdles to overcome in doing some of these things. So, uh, and you you feel like it is a better switch to go from alcohol or opioids I to- think th- I think that it's a much more complicated and nuanced question, and, and, and here's why. I do think that for some people, certainly, mm-hmm. the switch is sure. absolutely better for them in the short and long term, yeah. uh, just because of the d- really devastating impact that opioids can have, like we were talking about the switch or from the opioids. Or the immediate over. devastation that alcohol you know, can have. You mm-hmm. know, so the fact that people have um, overdose deaths, and yeah. I mean, like these are, so, you know, yes, people can sort of overdose on cannabis, I think it's probably because they're smoking synthetics as well, which is a whole other conversation. Yes. Uh, and that might be why they res- why uh, we're seeing more people coming into our emergency rooms uh, as a result of uh, synthetic cannabinoid use. But generally yeah. speaking, uh, I think that the the switch over from opioids because of the danger that's associated with particularly related to opioid overdose uh, and overdose deaths uh, is preferable. Yeah, you can overdose on alcohol, you can overdose on opioids. Uh, it's nearly impossible to smoke enough pot to overdose. Yeah, I think I saw somewhere once it was like you had, you'd have to smoke like fifteen hundred pounds of it in one sitting or something. It's some ridiculous amount that, or fifteen, some crazy amount of milligram, or, or, yep. or that it would just be um, not likely to happen, even on one of those extra fun special nights, right? Unless, <laughs> I mean, you know, the the issue with marijuana comes up whenever you have children in the house. Oh, they sure. get a hold of your edibles. Same thing with alcohol, and That's those things thing. are highly concentrated, right. right? It's just like we're talking maybe fentanyl versus oxycodone, right? It's a big it's Jump. a huge difference. Yeah. Uh, and that's where the danger comes is in. Is fentanyl, is that what killed Michael Jackson? Propofol? Propofol. But the, and fentanyl is involved in, yeah. It, fentanyl is that, that patch, right? Mm, or the, yeah. The, yeah. It's like a super mega. Well, now. Uh, hundred times more potent, potent than, than the morphine. morphine. Yeah. 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 yeah fentanyl is now being created in these super labs in New Mexico and being infused into counterfeit pills and coming I, over and flooding our flooding our. I, th- I saw a, a video uh, not too long ago of a cop that accidentally got, was exposed to fent- fentanyl. Yeah. I think yeah. Yeah. We, had a, we had an immediate reaction, and yeah. um, and it's it's horrifying. Um, yeah. I I I don't know if this joke is going to make you pass judgment on me, but I think I'd rather switch with this painkiller than I'd rather have a glass of whiskey than than <laughs> than screw with some crazy super drug that's. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, and then like uh, getting back to the whole marijuana thing, you know, th- it is an issue for some people in particular, especially veterans, because if they test positive for something like marijuana, then they have uh, huge issues with their benefits. And, oh, really? Yeah, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, but at, so I think that that's true for a lot of different people. You know, we have a lot of folks out there who are unemployed and they may spend a lot of time smoking at home. Sure. And then they go in and they tr- can't pee, pee clean for absolutely for uh you know for a uh, a job. A job. And right. so it can contribute to, you know, unemployment, underemployment, sure. and those sorts of things as well. I mean, we yeah, I'll, I'll never forget the, the when I had a marijuana study here. Uh, the first guy who came in, he was the first guy that came in for any of my studies. So I'll always remember him. He was a hulking man. He was three hundred and some odd pounds, and he, he was intimidating. He was crying 
in front of me because he couldn't quit smoking pot. So he couldn't move out of the bus on his mom's property that he's been in since he was a kid. That guy had a very serious problem. He, he couldn't. Smoking. He was super addicted to pot. Yeah. yeah. Fr- I know, and I've I've watched many a discussion on this this subject, and people often falsely say that you know marijuana is not addicting, but any that's habit can be true. addicting. Any habit can be addicting, mm-hmm. and depending on your your chemical makeup and your situation, where you are in your brain development, it could be a real problem. Yeah. Um. And uh, that sounds horrifying. And so this is one of those times when the unsuccessful effort to cut down or quit comes yeah. in and it is the becomes the cardinal symptom for someone when they're trying to not smoke pot and get sure. ahead, get ahead in their life and they find that they are unable to do so because they've got uh, a urine drug screen that's positive for cannabis. Well, the fact right. that he was breaking down crying is and, and, oh, and acknowledging hor- that horrific it's a huge... for some people. Right. And you know, those are the people who are seeking treatment very clearly. What's yeah. his name? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll give you a social. So, <laughs> so when's the study over? Like when when can we see results? Like what if uh, this turns this, out to be a huge success? Well, so you know, can the, I come on your boat? This is what. Uh, yeah, um, you can come on my paddle boat. Um, <laughs> so the, you know, this is a phase two study, and so the next would be a phase three study, which would enroll a lot more people. It would um, expand your your test group. Yes. Yeah. And so, so if we go from 60 veterans to what are we talking like a couple hundred? Yes. Okay. And um, it, it would have to be repeated a few times and they get enough uh, data together. Then yes, it would, it could eventually be approved as treatment. So let's say perfect case scenario. Are we talking before you could see this on the market being advertised as a, as a, as are used? Would you say two years? No, I would say I, conservatively, uh, yeah, best case, maybe six to 10. So it's a long, long-term thing. Yeah, all of these are. All medication development takes a very well, long yeah, time. Well, it's a huge risk putting putting anything out there. Well, and, and that's why a lot of pharmaceutical companies are not investing in substance use disorder treatments uh, because it is a huge risk and there is the stigma and there is the investment. And so there is just not much uh, to gain for them. You know, they, they want the Viagras. Sure. Sure. I mean, as it stands right now, there are only three FDA-approved medications for the treatment of alcohol use disorder. Right. One of them makes you severely sick if you do drink. You've probably heard of Anabuse, disulfiram. Um, so no I, one takes I, it. No, I, no, but I have heard of that where there's one that it'll make you th- like throw up. If you right. Anabuse. Anabuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or disulfiram. Right. So is that is that similar in like methadone? Because I'll tell you, I exp- and let me explain what I mean when I say similar. Mm-hmm. I mean, I explained to a few people you guys are coming on today and trying to explain what what the conversation was and what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And and two different people, two different times, I said, they're trying to find a drug that can help treat this. Uh, and they were like, oh, like methadone. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Yeah. So methadone is a, like a substitution sure. um, for opioid. It's, it's an opioid, right? And so it, it can be used for pain. Um, so or, it's not so much a substitution you're looking for, but more of a, like I said earlier, of a, a, a suppressant of, of cravings. So, so when I when I think about opioid treatments, uh, there are a couple of different ways to go. There's uh, for opioid use disorder, you have opioid replacement therapy, which is the right. methadone or buprenorphine, mm-hmm. uh, which is also known as suboxone or subutex. Uh, and then there's opioid blockers, right. which is naltrexone, which can be given in a, in a shot in your arm. And, and then you don't feel and the you don't effects f- of the opioids. So if somebody tries to take heroin on top of naltrexone, they don't get a high from it. They oh, really? Yeah. From it. I didn't know that. This is really not that. So, so, the, so they right. just get through. Is that the idea is that you, you take it and then if they decide to do it, and it doesn't work. They'd have to spend so much money on the heroin or whatever the illicit uh, opioid is to, to get a high yeah. that that should be a turn enough either to stop taking the medication sure, sure. or to you know say I'm not buying anymore. Will opioids. that get you through withdrawals? So you can't give naltrexone that shot until after the person is through withdrawal. Okay. So right. it will the, induce. Yeah, absolutely. Withdrawals. Okay. So if you give, so if you give it to someone who just took heroin yesterday, they will go into withdrawal and they and then they'll want to fight you when they're done. Sure. When they're done going through withdrawal, they want to. What hurt, other studies have you guys worked on besides alcohol and marijuana, cocaine, okay. methamphetamine? Yeah. yeah. Man, you guys had a lot of fun in, in college. Or like, <laughs> like, what what made you want to go here? Because you guys are both. Uh, uh, I can tell you for myself. It, it, I was uh, in private grade school, Catholic grade schools. And um, I switched to public in ninth grade, tenth grade. Oh, that's a that's a cold bucket of water. Absolutely, I <laughs> knew about drugs, 
but didn't really have any near me in the Catholic schools. Sure. And then all of a sudden they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And yeah. Nancy Reagan's on the TV with, and there's the frying yeah, pan. Darren, this right, is your Darren. brain on drugs. Yeah. You know, I'm older, so I don't yeah. know if you know. That well, well I, my kid's older than yours. And just, uh, so and, and just say no. 15 year old kids. I'm worried about yeah. every day. Right. What they're, you know. And it was the whole just say no thing that really bothered me because I had friends in one group who were using drugs and you could tell they were going down the wrong path. Sure. I had other friends who would, on the weekends. Sure. Special you know, occasions. Party, whatever. Right. Um, and, and they're fine. They're perfectly fine and successful. And so it, it just didn't make sense to me that for everybody, this is your brain on drugs and just say no. I wanted, I needed to have a better understanding, a scientific understanding. That's and fantastic. That's why I, I respect got into that this. incredibly. And it I've, was really marijuana that was, you know, the most prominent drug when I was in high school. Um, still and is, right? That's why I, you know, focused on cannabinoids for so long. Um, but you know, a lot of people who use marijuana do use other drugs. That's right. I grew up in such a anti. I grew up Pentecostal. Yes. Anti everything. Teetotalism to the mm. extreme. Right. Yeah. I felt the same way. My my mom um, was the black sheep in her family, but she didn't drink. She smoked, and she worked at a bar, mm. and but she couldn't have been more functioning and, and normal and happy. Yeah. But just because she wasn't the super religious, it was like she mm. was the black sheep. Mm. And then everyone around me that I went to church with growing up turned out crazy. They went down the right around 17, 18, 19. Yeah. Well, it the was, Pentecostals. It was a, it was a mad dash sure. for, for hell. Freedom. Right? Yeah. I would <laughs> it imagine. Was a, you would experience so, things that you've been so. No shade against the Pentecostals. Yeah. No, I'll throw it. I, I, I'm from there. <laughs> no, but I, 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 I do respect those who, who just seem to have a more reasonable, logical approach to things mm-hmm. instead of an, an extreme of extreme aversion. Yeah. yeah. Because the extreme aversion, I think, in, encourages uh, the opposite. Like, a, what do you call it? A, a rubber band effect mm. where when you tell your kids, no, 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 mm. and then the moment they can, they will, yeah. right? right? So, But I think what, what we're talking about really is that people need to reflect on the impact of these things on their lives in a really honest way. Sure. And sometimes yeah. we, I mean, I can deceive myself all I want to about mm-hmm. my use of my phone, for example. Like, I know I should not check my email at 4 a.m. at, at night, right? Like, I'm, my, my addiction to my devices is, is, is there, is, is present. Sure. But that's just personal <laughs> growth. Right. You're able to acknowledge that. I appreciate that. you for saying yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, but I have unsuccessful efforts to cut down my use of my phone. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, in my car, I'm, I do fairly well, but in, like at dinner, I'm on my phone. The sure. It's, it's so, you know, it, I think what we're, what we're trying to encourage people to do is just to honestly look at your relationship to this thing. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know, if you have a question, then talk to someone about that. Yeah. Talk to a professional about that. Yeah. If you have the question even, uh, and the, and the answer might be, well, Try to make this small change. Maybe right. it's, right. you know, and you just try to bring it down t- so that you're in the the level where you're no longer drinking at risk. Mm-hmm. That could be enough in and of itself. Right. For but some we folks. all have to manage ourselves, right? Yeah. So that, the yeah. idea that, you know, I I know that if I'm if I'm hitting 240, I need to lay off the sugar or the fast food. Or mm-hmm. it's all about a- acknowledging when things start to get a little bit out right. of that line and bring it back to, right. to, to mid level. Recognizing it within yourself, yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of people have a hard time with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not me though. Even though I'm the one with three bottles of whiskey in front of them, <laughs> um, we are. We have this flew by, and I would I would absolutely love um, if you guys would come back on. Not not right off. Not tomorrow, <laughs> uh, but I would love to get you guys back in here. I think this is going to be a very well received episode. And I have so much more I want to talk to you about. Yeah, so, sure. Um, See how it goes. Yeah. If you, it's well received. Oh, it'll be very well received. In we'll fact, I had a few people. Uh, so there are lots of bourbon alcohol podcasts. No one's really addressing mm. this side of it. It's more like, hey, uh, here's the history behind mm-hmm. this American spirit and blah, yeah. blah. No one's really discussing the, the the risk side. That And if anyone should be discussing it, it should be us, right? If we're yeah. the hobbyists. It's something you should be concerned about. At least um, aware of. You know, so what about when in your community? I'm totally, we're going to go over. I'm sorry. You can cut it out if you want to. But what about in your community when you all see someone that you think is mm. overdoing it? Yeah. I mean, how, how, how is that? There is someone that comes to mind and there are, there are conversations that are had. But uh, with the individual, or yeah. is it like the you person know, I'm he's thinking of? Or the, she's a mess? The person I'm thinking of, I've said he's a mess. People have said he's a mess. I've said he's like the lovable. You know, Rap Scallion. If you ever seen the show Shameless, yes. You know Frank Gallagher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and he's a good, very good, very generous man, also a veteran. There's a history there. Um, but for the most part, his life is fairly together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes it, it gets a little bit out of hand. Yeah. Um, but beyond having these conversations and trying to talk to them, it's hard to go much further than that. And yeah. at some point, you can only either laugh about it or or not talk to the person anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. and when I say laugh at, it, I mean don't laugh at their plight. Sure. But, but you know, oh, they're just being this person, right? Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So as That's long as they're they not yeah. drunk driving or at risk and hurting anybody, and at some point, there's only so much you can do that it becomes kind of a. You just love them, right? It's not hard to love somebody, yeah, and and when you see them, you hug them, and you know what I mean. It's it's hard. Uh, you don't really know what to do at a certain yeah. point. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's what I that's what I was sort of asking because I would imagine that if you are going to lots of these activities and you all develop a real sense of community and friendship, a really with folks, great community, here. and so you are concerned about this person yep. at the same time that you are uh, enjoying their company. Enjoying their company. I, I'm gonna uh, throw shade at you guys a little bit because. At, being doctors, you can give them the truth, and then and then they leave, right? And they leave the room, right? They, they, right? Whether they take it or they not, yeah, your right. part's done. Right. It's a little different when you are friends see with the people day. and totally. see them every day. Of course. Um, all right. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I, you guys are fantastic. I'm really uh, very happy with this. So thank you so much for thanks coming for on the show. Me. I appreciate it, Daryl. Thanks for having us, Chris. I appreciate you guys. And uh, yeah, cheers. Cheers.